2: We observe today, not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom.
0: Across the UK, online and on DAB, The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals.
0: Dangerous mid-morning debate with the Great Dictator.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attend to when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Dismiss!
3: Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's deadline day in Parliament today as the number crunchers work the phones to try and push the Boris deal over the line. Tomorrow Parliament sits for the first time this century on a Saturday and we will be there with them every step of the way. That's right, the tent of common sense is being unpacked as we speak for the big vote which will take place sometime after lunch, we think. The chief whips have got their calculators out, Labour are using a giant abacus of course to see whether a few rebels could help the government to get the deal passed. Depending on who you speak to, the deal is either a worse deal than Theresa May's deal or it's a much better deal than Theresa May's deal. The questions remain. Will the EU grant an extension if one is required? Will there be a no-deal Brexit if the deal doesn't get through? Will any of the ERG Spartans rebel and risk being thrown out of the Tory party? And will the DUP finally be persuaded to sign up somehow before the vote? I think we know the answer to that one. There's been a few dissenting voices as well, notably from the Brexit party, but this could be the best opportunity, I think, in three and a half years to actually get something done. Now, some of you out there uh, are getting a bit upset with what I'm saying, I don't see any reason for you to do so. Pragmatism, I think, is the order of the day, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. We've got loads of your calls to take. Nigel Nelson's going to join us, uh, Sunday People's political editor as well. Plus, of course, it is Friday, so don't forget, we'll have another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards, uh, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting this week. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning to Mr Nigel Nelson. Nigel, hello, how are you? Good morning, Mike. Very nice to talk to you. Now, let's start with some of those questions, right? Um, will the EU grant an extension if one is required? That seems to be up in the air at the moment.
4: It is up in the air. Um, what is likely to happen there is that if we get to a situation by tomorrow night where uh, nothing has been agreed, uh, the chances are they will then then decide at a future summit uh, whether or not an extension should be granted. Um, that obviously confuses sort of confuses the issue slightly mm. because, obviously, the Ben letter, which will demand the extension till the end of January, um, that the deadline for that is 11 o'clock tomorrow evening.
3: Right. And that's something that Boris Johnson has said that he won't do, as in write yeah. the letter.
4: Yes, I mean, he's been a bit confusing about this. He says, on one hand, he won't break the law, yeah. and sending the letter is actually uh, <laughs> in the letter of the law. Um, and he says, yeah, that um, uh, we're coming out on the 31st, uh, do or die.
3: Yes. Well, that that was my next question. If if there is um, uh, no... If if he doesn't manage to get this deal through, does it then mean that we go for a no-deal Brexit on the 31st?
4: Well, I don't think it does, because I think he's bound under the law to actually ask for an extension. The only way we end up with no deal is if the EU decided not to give us that extension. Mm.
3: I mean, before this deal was done, there was a lot of talk earlier this week, was there not, of having another European Council meeting before the end of this month.
4: Yeah, that, 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 that's the idea. And still, that still could be on the cards. Right, OK. Um, uh, it, it, obviously, everything depends on tomorrow, but it could be on the cards. They will do that and not immediately reply to uh, the letter about granting the extension. They may want time to think about whether to do that or not.
3: Right. And yesterday I was quite sort of convinced that the DUP were kind of holding out for some better inducements, shall we say, or some more money perhaps thrown at them in order to uh, to sign up to the deal. But today I'm thinking it's not looking like they're going to change their minds.
4: Well, I mean, it's very really, difficult to tell with the DUP. Um, it dep- obviously depends how big the bribe is. Yeah. So that would be a significant factor. Um, but no, I, I think the DUP position um, it, it w- will not change. And the reason being is that this new deal means that Northern Ireland has different rules from the rest of the United Kingdom, and that is what the DUP cannot stomach.
3: Yes. I'm looking at that thinking it's quite a wizard's plan, though, because <coughs> it seems to uh, be, make it the best of both worlds for Northern Ireland, doesn't it?
1: Well, I
4: I think that's probably a a really good description of it in the sense that it's it's six of one and a half of the other. On the one hand, Boris Johnson, to his credit, has got rid of the backstop. Mm. Um, But what it's been replaced with is a very complicated system, which means that um, that Northern Ireland will have different rules and regulations from the rest of the UK. Now, the, 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 the plus side of that is in four years they can vote that down and say we don't want it. So that is why the backstop has gone, um, and that has been Boris Johnson's achievement. Mm. But, I mean, it's the it's it's different rules bit that always causes the problem. They always argue that Northern Ireland must, must be uh, part of the UK, uh, a full part of the UK, and therefore must have the same laws, rules, regulations as the UK.
3: But it basically is, though. That's what I think is so good about this, because it makes it part of the UK as well, rather than instead of. It's not we one or the other, it's both.
4: Yeah, yeah but, they do, but, but you will end up with with different rules on VAT. You end up with, diff- with different rules, uh, rules on uh, single market compliance. So there are things that actually the DUP can't weather. Uh, and what you do get, which is something that Theresa May say, said no Prime Minister could, could sign up to, is you get a border in the Irish Sea so, however you look at it, Northern Ireland will be a different place from um, the rest of the the rest of the country, yeah. and that is what the DUP find most difficult. Now, it doesn't mean they won't sign up to this at the last minute, um, simply because they do have some kind of get out in that that the Stormont Parliament, assuming it's up and running, will be able to actually be able to pull out in four years' time, mm. and that's the great uh, the the. Um, uh, the great kind of Philip for the, for, for the DUP. But they will have to swallow the fact that they will be um, a different kind of country.
3: Yes. And uh, unfortunately, I think as well for the DUP, um, I think Boris Johnson has rather deliberately marginalised them, which he can only have done full in the knowledge that he can get by without them.
4: Well, I'm not sure if that's true. I mean, because because Boris Johnson has um, a majority now of minus 45... The D, the,
3: <laughs> Technically the not really actually, a majority, is it really? Well,
4: no, exactly. <laughs> so, the, so, in fact, the 10 votes the DUP were bringing to the table are no longer quite as important. Ironically, by tomorrow they will be. I mean, hmm. to do a rough calculation of where we, where we seem to stand um, as we speak, Boris Johnson's deal falls about 11 votes short. Yeah. Now, obviously, 10 DUP votes, and you only need then one Labour rebel, mm. and Boris Johnson is home and dry.
3: Yeah, but maybe he's, so, got, maybe he's already got, say, 11 or 12 Labour rebels in his pocket. Well, he may have.
4: Um, I wonder if they've actually told him, but I don't know. Um, but uh, but the, the Labour rebels uh, face a real problem, and much the same as, in fact, the Tory rebels did, because we know a general election is coming up. Um, if, La- if Labour MPs rebel, Jeremy Corbyn will take the whip from them and that means they won't be able to stand in the forthcoming general election. Mm. So um, the vote tomorrow night is actually a career-ending ending one for any politician who goes against their own party.
3: Well, also, if you're a Labour uh, um, MP from a Leave voting constituency, uh, you're really in a cleft stick, because um, if you do, say, uh, to go with party over constituents and you vote to remain uh, and you vote against Boris's deal, uh, you're more than likely going to get voted out at the next election anyway.
4: Well, you've got that problem too. I mean, and that's why I think that, that you know, we, we, we tend to forget the actual human cost that actually MPs, in fact, go through. Um, I mean, it, it is actually deciding um, w- w- whether you have a political career after what you do. And mm. and either way, um, you
3: could lose. Yeah. Now, for those people like Nigel Farage who are against this um, particular deal because they don't think it's hardline enough... Um, what does that mean for the, the ERG and the guys inside the Tory party? I mean, my, my, my sort of information is that uh, they're all going to... There's very, very few, uh, possibly maybe only one member of the ERG who's not going to vote with this.
4: No, I, I mean, I, I think the ERG will probably vote uh, vote with uh, Boris Johnson tomorrow. Um, but there, w- there will be... I think it's probably... Uh, there will be more than one or two, I would imagine, who will be looking at the DUP for a elite um, because uh, they tended to, get, uh, to go in tandem... So, i don't think you can absolutely guarantee bringing aboard um almost all of the uh, of the e r g It will depend a bit on on the d u p yeah but so what i think you end up with once you've actually done that that rather complicated arithmetic um on the abacus as you just put it for Labour... <laughs> um, that, you you end up in a situation where Boris Johnson will need a few Labour rebels to get this over the line.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's pulled so many rabbits out of the hat so far that I have to say I'm quite confident, he's confident that he can do it.
4: Well, he has to say that anyway, doesn't he? I don't think he's actually uh, as confident as he likes, likes to say. Well, I don't know. I mean, there,
3: everybody who said that he couldn't get this done and that done and the other thing done, I mean, he's managed to do all of those things. No, uh,
4: I, I, mean, I mean, I do give him credit for that. I'm, not, I, I'm no great fan of, of Boris Johnson's, but I will give him credit for that, that um, uh, it's, it looked like it was impossible to reopen the withdrawal agreement. The EU were always adamant that it couldn't be opened. Theresa May went along with that line. And Boris Johnson has reopened it, so mm. I do give him credit for that because um, that seemed an impossibility a few days ago, and now we've seen it happen. Yes, I think to actually then get it through Parliament is a whole different ball game. Mm. That Theresa May found out.
3: Yes, and what about this kind of uh, body uh, of the hall that would like to see a second referendum tacked onto the uh, to the bill? Because we were told again, sort of yesterday, day before yesterday, uh, that that was very much um, a condition by which uh, Labour and maybe the Lib Dems even would actually vote for it. Um, That that seems to have diminished slightly.
4: It has, yeah. I mean, second referendum has never got through so far. um, And I think that the the second referendumers, I mean, particularly the Lib Dems, actually recognise that it probably won't get through tomorrow. Mm. So, again, at the moment, it's looking like a second referendum amendment. Won't actually be on the table tomorrow.
3: Okay, that's interesting. So, if say let's look at both uh, scenarios, then if it does go through, albeit by a narrow margin of maybe one, what happens next?
4: Well, if it goes through, that's it. That um, the the, uh, the deal then has to be ratified by the European Parliament. Uh, it's likely it will be, and that can be done before October the thirty first. And we leave the EU as Boris Johnson promised on that date. Um, Uh, We then have a a two-year transition period, so we don't have that awful cliff edge of no deal. Um, And a lot of people will argue, both Remainers and Leavers, that let's let's get this thing done at last and we can actually move on. Mm. So that's what happens there. If he loses, then he is bound to send the letter asking for the extension. And obviously, the question is, will he do that?
3: Yes. I mean, the other thing I suppose we haven't mentioned is what about abstentions? I've got a couple of tweeters tweeting me, uh, Kevin, among them, asking what happens if, say, the DUP didn't vote against the government but voted to abstain.
4: Well, that, that, that is a possibility. Um, <laughs> almost any of the different different little parties we've got at the moment might do something like that. That throws the calculations completely out. <laughs> Helpfully. Um, yeah, well, exactly. So, I mean, if they abstain... I mean, you are in a situation at the moment where, um, it, if I'm right about Boris Johnson needing around 11 votes at the moment, an abstention an abstention by, say, the DUP would deny him 10 of those votes.
3: Mm. It would, but it would also not give them to the other side.
4: That's true. Um, but, it, but that's what I mean about throwing the numbers out, that he, that he, he still might just do it, yeah. but... Um, it, it is very difficult to make a calculation on people doing do the abstentions. And I imagine there'll be a number of Labour MPs um, who, if they can't really you know, um, bring themselves to vote for the deal, will abstain and hope that will be enough to actually satisfy their Labour constituents.
3: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's still incredibly complicated, really, isn't it? And, I mean, that was my favourite quote, I think, of the day uh, yesterday. From, I think it was from Michel Barnier uh, when he was asked what would happen if the deal doesn't go through. And he said uh, in his best accent, well, then that would make it very complicated. <laughs> like as, well, if it has, well, as if it hasn't already been very complicated.
5: Well, yes.
4: I mean, it would make it even more complicated. I Because mean, it... they can't
3: go back to... Presumably they'd have to then go back and renegotiate and get a better deal, right? Well, this is, I mean,
4: this is the bit which um, I'm not sure is going to be possible without a change of government. Um, I mean, we always look at it from the British side, but you do have to look at it from the EU side as well. And from their point of view, they have now offered two deals and agreed them with the British government. If the second one is rejected, it seems pretty unlikely to me that, the government, that this government can go back for a third.
3: Right. But now, would, they then, would they then turn around and say, do you know what, just go without a deal?
4: Well, they could do. I mean, they could actually turn around and not give us the extension right. and say, look, we've had enough too. I mean, the reason I say look at it from the EU side is that um, there are other countries who are looking at Brexit very closely because they might fancy going the same route. Mm. And what the EU knows is whatever the deal is that we go out on will be the minimum demands of another country who might go the same way, Yeah, which is why they've been holding out. Um, so, yes, and I think that, the, that the, it could be a point of the EU saying, look, we've had enough of this, um, if you want to go, just go, not going to give you an extension. Uh, and without an extension, the default position is we leave with no deal on October the 31st. Yeah.
3: So that, that, I would say, sounds like quite a, quite a sort of good option in a way, um, in terms of making it more simple rather than making it more complex.
4: Yes, but I mean, obviously, what the EU wants is, is for us not to leave at all. Right. So if they can get if they can see a situation whereby uh, there might be a general election and a possibility of a Labour government, and a Labour government could do a new deal because they would have a very soft Brexit, which the EU quite likes, um, which means effectively staying in single market. But then
3: they would also campaign against their own deal, wouldn't they?
4: Well, no, well in a
3: second well, referendum. <laughs>
4: In a, sense, in a sense, what they would do is they'd actually, that I mean, Jeremy Corbyn himself would remain neutral and let his MPs campaign whichever way they wanted. Mm. So what you would then have uh, on the table, uh, assuming that scenario played out...
3: Yeah, but that's a very is... unlikely scenario, isn't it, Corbyn beating Boris in the general election?
4: Well, uh, the, uh, the polls aren't looking, looking too, too, um, too rosy at the moment no. for Labour. but no, I, I accept that. Um, but in the event he did, you would have then a second referendum where the choices would be whatever deal Labour has negotiated. And I think that would be quite simple because Europe would like it more than the deal they've got at the moment mm. um, and remain. So you would, you would end up in that situation. But I think all those things mean that we really are looking at an extension then until probably next June, because you're never going to get all that done uh, in, the time, in the time limit available.
3: God help us. And just to improve uh, their image, I see that uh, Chris Bryant, uh, Labour MP, has stood up in Parliament and said that they might have to ask for childcare costs in order to sit on Saturday, uh, which has not been greeted with a great deal of enthusiasm, it has to be said by the General Electorate.
4: Well, I mean, so this, this is one of the problems about <laughs> uh, about what, what, when you ask MPs to do things, that there is that there will be cost to the taxpayer, it's not just MPs childcare, Um, it means that a lot of people, uh, catering workers, uh, the doorkeepers, people like that who keep parliament running, they have to come in tomorrow, they'll be paid overtime, it's not in their contrast to come in on a Saturday, Uh, it doesn't happen more more than once every three decades. So yes, there will be extra costs. I mean, my view is if an MP really, de- really does need childcare, they should have it. They're being called in. Uh, it is a Saturday. It's an unusual situation. Well, hang
3: on. I don't get paid for childcare. If I need to get childcare for my kids, I don't get paid it.
4: Well, even if if you were called in as an emergency, no. you don't have nowhere it to put Must be your joking.
3: Car. No, I don't. I don't work for the state. You don't get. I don't get that. Most people don't get that. Most people have to arrange to bring their own kids to work with them uh, if they have to go to work on a Saturday, which well, is what I'm do, doing. you could do it that way. You well, that's what that I'm way. doing. Well, I mean, you could do it that way. But, I mean, they're um, also paid quite handsomely, Nigel, so they could perhaps take uh, care of their own childcare costs out of their quite lavish salaries. Well,
4: I mean, do, uh, do, you, think, do you think an MP salary is lavish?
3: Yeah, I do. Most people do. You don't because you work in Fleet what, Street. <laughs> I mean, well, the average salary think? in this country is 26,000 a year, right? That's the right. average.
4: And is that what you think an MP should be on?
3: No, that's not what I think an MP should be on. But I think if you ask anyone who is not an MP, seventy-five, seventy-seven thousand 77,000 a year is quite a lot of money, plus all the expenses they get.
4: Well, in which, in which case then, uh, do we think that the uh, Prime Minister is worth 140,000? Uh, do Listen, we I'm, not that... suge- I'm
3: not suggesting we should pay them any less. I'm just saying if you have to sit once on a Saturday for the first time in one century, uh, it's the first time since 1970, whatever it was, uh, I think you could probably handle your own childcare costs for the day. OK,
4: well, I,
3: I mean... I, it, Hard it, to it's argue against I'm... that.
4: It's, it's not one of the major issues of Brexit that I'm thinking about at the moment, so I will I will bow to that
3: one. All right, Nigel, thank you very much indeed. Maybe we'll see you in the tent tomorrow. Nigel Nelson from the Sunday People there, uh, almost defending the MPs asking for money, but then retreating gracefully, uh, as indeed he knew he should do. Uh, 0344 499 1000 is the number. Loads more to do, lots more of your calls to take. Coming next.
0: Dangerous mid-morning debate with the Great Dictator.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Bye.
3: This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 Don't forget, we are down in Westminster tomorrow. First Saturday show for us uh, in the history of the Independent Republic uh, of Mike Graham because, of course, Parliament is sitting, Parliament is voting, Parliament is debating uh, the Brexit deal brought back from Brussels by Boris Johnson. Uh, we'll find out tomorrow whether that deal is passed in Parliament. But if you think things are bad here, uh, you should take a look over to Barcelona where protests began on Monday after nine politicians and activists were jailed for up to 30, years uh, for being part of the Catalan independence movement, right? The streets are literally on fire. Uh, last night, uh, things were worse than ever, where it would appear that some uh, very far right-wing thugs started attacking some of the um, uh, the, the, the demonstrators, uh, hitting them with baseball bats, running down the street, carrying flags uh, with, with Franco's face all over them. I mean, it really is an absolute mess. And guess what? The European Union doesn't seem to think that they should intervene. We're going to talk now uh, to Stephen Burgeon, freelance journalist and regular contributor uh, to The Guardian. He's based in Barcelona. Stephen, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. It must be a pretty scary time to be in Barcelona at the moment. It looks pretty hairy.
6: Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it gets pretty hairy after about 10 o'clock at night. Right. Um, you know, Basically, since um, since Monday, every night we've had these uh, running battles with the police, uh, lots of rubber bullets being fired... Lots of fires started, you know, basically sort of rubbish bins being tipped down the street and set on fire, uh, which, you know, looks more spectacular than it actually is, but Mm. it's it's pretty unpleasant. And last night seemed to ratchet up a little bit more.
3: Exactly right. And just walk us through slightly, if you can, Stephen, what happened on Monday, because there was a failed independence bid in 2017, and this uh, this sentencing appears to to sort of hark back to that.
6: Okay, well, you know, to go back a couple of years... Uh, the pro-independence uh, movement said they were going to hold a referendum on independence. The Spanish government said, you're not allowed to do that. It's against the Constitution, and if you do, you'll be in big trouble. Right. Well, they, they went ahead with it, um, and it was mostly peaceful until police intervened, and you'll probably remember there were scenes of you know considerable yes. police brutality.
3: Yeah. And um, there was about and- a million people out on the streets at one point, wasn't there?
6: Yeah, it several times there have been a million people out of the streets, but, you know, peacefully up yeah. until now, peacefully. And then um, the later in that month, the Catalan parliament decided to unilaterally declare independence, at which point the Spanish government imposed direct rule on the region and quickly arrested um, leading members of parliament and leading members of the kind of civic organizations that had been running the campaign. And they were they were remanded in custody and uh, charged with uh, these quite serious charges. Uh, the most serious charge, rebellion, which is like treason, was yeah. dropped. But they decided to go ahead with the, possibly the maximum penalties for a lesser charge of sedition. And I think to most people's shock, on Monday
5: they received these
6: sentences between nine to twelve years. Whereas I think for most people, whatever their point of view, unless they're particularly right-wing, would have thought that um, a large fine and being told mm. that they couldn't hold public office anymore would have been more appropriate. And so, the, um, predictably, uh, the reaction has, well, actually, I wouldn't say particularly it's been violent, because we haven't had violence before, but it's obvious that people, and mostly young people on the demonstrations, feel that the road of peaceful demonstrations has run out, and it and they haven't achieved anything, and they're frustrated.
3: Yeah, and from the footage I've seen, the police are being pretty heavy-handed with them as well. And, I mean, call me old-fashioned, Stephen, but it sounds to me like something Franco would have done.
6: Well, um, I think the, the, the police the police in Spain are, are very quick to get their battles out. Yeah. Uh, in any circumstance, even you know, a little bit of... Of um, ruckus at a football match, and right. they're out there with their sticks. Hmm. Um, um, I think they're in. You know, the thing is that the police are being violent, but the whole game at, at the moment is to provoke the police into doing something. And so the police sort of stand there in their lines, and people throw things at yeah. them, set fire to stuff, and eventually they charge that bit of the crowd, and the crowd disperses, and on it goes—a sort of cat and mouse game. Um, All night. They they don't seem to believe in the uh, English technique of kettling people into one place until they get tired and go home. Right. Um, And what about the EU's
3: role in all of this? Because there's MEPs, are there not, from Catalonia who can't take their positions up in Brussels uh, for one reason or another. And the EU seems kind of impossibly blinded to trying to, to sort this problem out, saying basically it's an internal matter for Spain. Yes, well, I think this
6: is probably the big disappointment for the independence movement is that uh, it hoped that, particularly after the police brutality around the time of the referendum, that the EU would sort of come to their aid and would slap uh, Spain on the wrist. Mm. But I think the um, the sense of solidarity between member states uh, is more is stronger, and I think what well, I think what happens in the EU is that. Many, many EU countries have a potential Catal- Catalonia. I mean, the UK has Scotland, uh, the, you know, France has Corsica and Brittany, things that could fire up. And so there seems to be a consensus that we'll mind our own, our own business. Well,
3: similarly, similarly, they don't seem to want to interfere in, in, in the riots in France as well, which have been going on now for nearly a year.
6: Yes, yeah, so I, think, I think there is this consensus that, you, you know, that's your internal uh, problem. Um, I think the the other problem that the Catalans have in in trying to get international support is that, I seem to have to say this over and over again, fewer than 50% of the population want independence, and this weakens their case. Mm. If it was 65 or 70%, then people might say, well, you know, these people, something has to be done. I mean, something does have to be done. Spain's, the the Spanish government's, uh, you know, attitude all down the line is extremely unhelpful. But on the other hand, saying we want independence when you can only muster 47% of the population behind you is not a strong case.
3: No, it's not. And apparently it's going to have a knock-on effect on the tourism situation now because there's a lot, lot, lot of road closures today. I understand some airports have been cancelling flights. There's a sort of general strike going on today, I think.
6: Yeah, there's a general strike. Um, getting in and out of Barcelona today will probably be pretty impossible by road or rail. Uh, at least 50 flights have been cancelled, but I think in terms of uh, the damage to uh, tourism, particularly, it's the images. Uh, a, a woman I know who runs several restaurants here said to me, she like, even after the first night of the the stuff going on at the airport, uh, she had hundreds of cancellations. Yeah, um, and people see that and they think, oh my God, the whole city's in flames. Well they uh, do I mean uh, that's
3: very much what it looks like from here unfortunately and and people like I know because it's half term coming up for schools who were thinking of maybe going to Barcelona are now going elsewhere.
6: yeah well and of course the bits that are in flames are the bits that they're most likely to go because yeah. you know, the rioters are choosing the the most kind of emblematic parts of the city uh, to 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 riot in and um, yeah and on, on the other hand you know <laughs> i've I've seen uh, I've seen tourists taking selfies in front of fires. In the street, so it's you know it's a different different holiday experience for some people. Yeah,
3: it really is. And when do you think when do you think that the, the violence will stop? Because it's obviously you know the, the more that the police appear to clamp down on it, the worse it seems to get.
6: Well, I think we'll probably have more tonight, and tonight's supposed to be like sort of the climax of the first week of, of protest. There's nothing actually planned, that I know of, until the twenty sixth, but people. Young people I've spoken to said, well, in theory, it ends tonight, but um, I doubt it. I think people will get tired. Um, I think it's curious that the Spanish and Catalan police, they don't seem to go on a policy of arresting people. Mm. Um, And so they'd like to beat you up, but they don't actually uh, arrest. They've arrested very, very few people, Mm. considering the scale of the violence. No. I think, you know, what we, need, what we need is some political movement, and I think we're not going to see any. We've got a general election coming up on the 10th of November. Uh, the Spanish government, uh, all the parties here are going to want to show that they're not soft on violence and therefore not soft on the Catalan issue. The Catalan government uh, seems incapable of, of coming up with a negotiating position that Spain's even going to consider. Um, and so I, I think we're in deadlock. Whether the violence on this scale will continue, I have no idea.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a worrying time, I think. Richard, thanks very much indeed. Look after yourself while you're out there on the streets. Stephen Stephen Burgeon, there, freelance journalist and regular contributor to The Guardian, based in Barcelona. A mid-morning dance
2: with the devil. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Come on, come on.
3: This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and tomorrow is going to be a very exciting morning because following Penny Smith, it is, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. First time ever uh, on a Saturday at 10 o'clock, followed by Julie Hartley Brewer uh, from 1 o'clock. Uh, we will both be down in Westminster inside the tent. Uh, we'll be talking to a whole load of politicians, a whole load of pundits, preparing, of course, for the vote, uh, which will take place sometime tomorrow afternoon. We're not entirely sure exactly yet what time uh, because it seems to be a little bit open-ended. A couple of quick tweets for you before we speak about ducks. Uh, from Dora says, Mike, do these Labour MPs want the unions to pay childcare for people who have to lose work to look after their children when the teachers go on strike? Charlie says, I wouldn't complain about MPs' wages if, I earned, if they earned it with a decent day's work but no, they are sponges and are useless only one job in three years they had to do and that was Brexit and they have messed that one up and left us in this position, costing us millions and Graham the Trucker says, I'm a truck driver in my wagon from 4am Monday morning to Friday evenings, many Saturdays therefore being out Friday night, sometimes with less than a day's notice, childcare costs i never mentioned, and I get paid far less than an MP. Unbelievable that they want money for working on a Saturday so they can pay childcare costs. Incredible. Now, uh, the other big, big debate, of course, around uh, uh, and about in this country is not about Brexit, but it is about bread and ducks, whether you can feed ducks bread or whether you can't. We're going to talk now to Peter Morris from the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust. Peter, a very good morning to you
7: good morning nearly your top story of the day then
3: <laughs> well listen i mean i think this is going to wind as many people up and divide the nation uh, as much as brexit because it's a story that doesn't seem to go away
7: it's been going on for much longer than brexit has not yeah. it um, the, I, I guess the key question is does bread cause damage to ducks can yes. bread kill ducks right. uh the the answer isn't a straight answer and that's why it goes on for so long Basically, uh, feeding bread to ducks is a bit like feeding chips to children. Right. Uh, they like it, and actually as it gets colder and they're being active around in cold areas and that, it's probably the sort of food they could do with mm. some of this nutrition in it. So at this time of year, I'd be quite relaxed about it. Just get out there and enjoy nature. If feeding birds is something that makes you feel good, just do it. But one of the things uh, that however,
3: we, see, we see all the time, though, in, in public sort of parks and ponds is,
7: is signs saying, don't feed the ducks bread. Yeah, there's two problems. The first one is that bread isn't actually the best food for them. Uh, Now, we we did a study some years ago where we compared a flock of swans that ate a lot of bread with one that didn't. Mm. And the ones that ate a lot of bread had less muscle development. So we, we didn't follow through into the chemical causation, but we observed that. Uh, there are also develop- developmental issues for a lot of young birds. Uh, if there's a nutrient imbalance, they can get a range of things, including something called angel wing, right. which is where the tips of the wings overgrow, basically, and they droop and get into poor condition. It means that they struggle to swim or to fly oh, and goodness. then to feed. Uh, and then they could starve or become prey to foxes. Uh no one has ever done a scientific experiment of putting a bunch of ducks in a room with no other factors and fed one lot just bread yeah. and the other lot no bread. So no one can say that bread absolutely causes it, but the nutri- it's a narrow band of nutrients in white okay. bread especially. I was going to say, so does it matter? So bread is implicated. Yeah, I was going to say, say does, it, does it
3: matter which kind of bread? Is some bread better than other bread?
7: It, it's it's the same the same as with humans. Uh, uh, I, I'm I'm not a human nutrient expert by any chance. But but white bread is, is processed and milled down. Brown bread, you, you've got a a, a you, you've got wheat that releases How slower. How about gluten cetera, free? In, in How in about
3: gluten free bread? Oh
7: blimey! Or organic? I've no idea yeah. actually. Mm. <laughs> um, no, it's but,
3: difficult to know, but, isn't but
7: it? it Mm, but 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 in the wild they will eat obviously a range of things a uh, plant uh, a lot of plants and also small invertebrates. Yeah. Uh, so during during the spring and summer when you've got tiny little young birds developing it's very probable that a lot of bread for them isn't great at all they should be learning how to forage for a range of different plants and animals and getting that balance of nutrients in them so that they develop in a balanced way. As you get into winter uh, everything dies back, all the plants there are less insects around so a bit more bread is probably a bit more useful for them however then that gets you into the other issue here which is what has really caused the problems between different commentators on this. So you've got the likes of me saying uh, you're better off giving them uh fresh greens mm. uh, peas uh, they they float in the yeah, water of yeah. size to eat yeah uh, so so they go down well however you'll get some flocks of birds um, often in parks or around cafes and they've grown up with bread they like bread so you take your peas down there they won't touch it they mm. want bread um you, you will often get if there's a lot of people feeding at the same time an artificially high number of birds there So you get loads and loads of ducks there might be a lot of poo around uh, disease issues uh, Damage to the ecosystem generally mm. caused by there being too much food The problem then is if you all stop feeding them bread what happens? Uh, so Our overall message of bread in moderation is fine. But, of course, if you're going down and feeding people, feeding uh, bread to ducks, you don't know who else is feeding them in moderation. That's the problem. And that's what I don't really have an answer for. So
3: the signs that remain, I mean, because the whole reason this story Mm. came about was there was a sign that was put up basically saying that it's all right to feed them bread. Go ahead and do it. Um, uh, But most of the signs that you'll see will say, don't do it. So I think most people don't do Mm. it at the moment.
7: Yep, so the, so this was a sign in Derbyshire in a park I don't know if there is a cafe in there or any or anything so it's it's uh, location specific there might well be for all I know a flock of uh, various waterfowl there that rely on bread and if you stop feeding them they're all going to die however this doesn't Solve the long-term issue ideally you should be trying to wean them slowly off the bread and slowly onto vegetables in the same way as back to the kids with chips if you, if you feed them nothing but chips they, they're going to turn their nose up aren't they at, at greens but, it, but if you sort of introduce slowly over time uh you you wean them off onto better stuff
3: no exactly right now how about i'm going to ask you a question which you may object to now but i don't Go know on. whether you can answer it <laughs> does it affect how
7: they taste depending on what they eat uh, I would think that is probably not. Um, no. That's a that's a that's a probably, and I don't really know the answer. But, okay. But um, most of the duck that we get is in, in, imported from other uh, from other countries, and okay. is fed. Of, usually, it's on uh, large scale industrial grain and all the rest okay. of it. I always think back. Do you remember that uh, song Ichiku Park? I do. Small faces. Yeah. Don't. don't yes. Don't feed. It's ducks, all too that beautiful. sort of brownies. Yes. Don't yes, feed them that no, sort of quite. thing quite. Here's another, here's another
3: <laughs> really weird question that you wouldn't have been expecting. A friend of mine keeps Go some on. chickens, right? And one of them was killed by a mink. And apparently Sussex is now riddled with loads of minks who was who were sort of set free by animal rights activists some years ago from mink farms. And they're now terrorising the countryside because they're quite vicious. Killing ducks, uh, they... killing, killing chickens, killing cats even
7: uh the, the big issue with mink is water vole uh so mink they they they're sort of similar sort of shape to ferret type animals and they will like to go into holes and go through and a bit like foxes I, I suppose uh, they they don't just take one and go right I I've had one vole and now I'm full and then wander off they will go through the lot and they will yeah. decimate populations and there's, uh, and there's a lot of them out there it- and there's a lot of them out there apparently no idea on numbers myself uh we own 10 reserves around the country including mm. london wetland center and west london uh, slimbridge in gloucestershire and martin mere in lancashire are probably the most famous of them uh we occasionally get mink uh not very very often um and certainly with, with us we uh We will let foxes and peregrines um, operate as much as possible. Predators are part of the landscape. But now and again, there are are moments where you go, we need to take action. And when a mink appears, that is normally a moment where you need to take action. Yes,
3: absolutely right. Well, great to talk to you, Peter. Thanks very much indeed for your expertise. Peter Morris from the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust basically says it's a little bit more complicated than don't give them bread or do give them bread. Give them some bread seems to be the answer, but don't give them too much bread. Pretty straightforward, isn't it?
2: Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: It's 12.34, it's Friday, it's time for this.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome
8: to the Perrier Awards.
3: Welcome to the Perrier Awards. It's time to uh, push out a very warm welcome to uh, Mr. Con Mendes. Looking very determined this uh, afternoon, Mr. Good Mendes. afternoon.
9: Yeah, well, it's not uh, the end of the week for us, is it's it? It's not, no. Oh. We've
3: got another show tomorrow. Yeah, so I'm not relaxing. Maybe we should do the Perriers tomorrow in that case. Uh, well, we're here
9: now, aren't we? So. Ah, okay. <laughs> Fine. You hadn't thought of that? No, no I hadn't. No. Uh, I, think, I think we'll have other things to talk about tomorrow. Let's so hope so. Uh. Uh, wel- w- welcome, <laughs>
3: first word. <laughs> Welcome. I'll say it for you.
9: Thanks. Welcome once more to the Perry Awards. <laughs> this is where we'll go back over the past week, the so-called Independent Republic so-called. of Mike Graham, and choose our favourite moments. Yes. Uh, well, despite Extinction Rebellion's best efforts mm. not to let me get to work this week, and my best efforts to argue that I can produce the show from home, I'm here and we've got plenty to get on Good with. Stuff. So let's begin. Our first period, as is tradition, goes to you, Mike. Thankfully. On Monday's show, during your conversation, uh, heated conversation, we should say with Mike Gapes and Jim Fitzpatrick mm. MPs uh, you won the question of the week Telling I'm afraid you, I'm not having it we I'll live in back a parliamentary democracy
3: no I'm not having it I'm going back to you uh, you said I was wrong about something so please tell me what it was <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. It turns out I wasn't wrong about something. No, it was, was even uh, saying that Mike Gates was wrong about something.: Yeah, that's
9: correct. Mm. Um, your presenting skills, though, were put to the test. Yes. Uh, later on by Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II. Her
3: stalling led you to win the filling of the week. Coming live from the House of Lords. The crown has been placed before her. She's looking solemn. she's just about ready to go any second now (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Somebody asked if I was commentating on the snooker. Yeah, it sounded like cricket
9: commentary, I thought.
3: Well, uh, that's because nobody told me she wasn't actually going to speak for about another ten minutes. Well, she didn't tell us that, so Did we didn't see? know. No, okay, no. it must have um, not been on the email chain. No. Um, now from this, uh, Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II, as you that, just called that's her. That's correct, that's
9: correct. Um, that's her full name. Uh, <laughs> now, there's been lots of talk about the Prime Minister's deal he struck this week with yeah. the EU. you got uh, a deal. Yeah, absolutely, but I'm afraid it's not the ba- possible deal. No, that was achieved by the former MP and Brexit's bad, Stuart Jackson. Who? If Boris came back offering uh,
3: free sex and chocolate... <laughs> wow. A lot of people misheard that and thought we were offering that.
9: Well, well, I understand why they're confused, because, Mike, you were quick to make use of this brand new deal by giving a caller the prize of the week. I think the answer would be no,
3: Mike. What yes, do you think? Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, give a, a free bar of chocolate and some sex to that man. <laughs>
9: Due to uh, competition I don't know <laughs> whether that actually rules. happened. Yeah, no, due yeah. to... We were obliged, <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, Mike, as ever, you were here to explain the very complexities of Brexit. Yes. So you win the
3: explanation of the week. But I think by not leaving... You're not leaving, if you see what I mean. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, that's not the most ridiculous thing that's ever been said about leaving, I have to tell you.
9: <laughs> um, now, to everyone's favourite caller, mm. Susan in Exeter. Ah, yes. She has won the Perrier for saying the facts of the week.
8: I was saying to Marcia, your lovely lady, and Cornelius, and those, all those nice people in the studio, they're always so sweet.
3: Is that it? Yeah. Oh, I thought she was going to say something interesting. <laughs> no, she's just saying
9: some facts. She started sweet. some cool. It's nice to hear some. You've facts You've never been from described as sweet in your well, life. That, Susan, take that up with Susan. Not even Lexington. by your girlfriend. <laughs> Cooler. That's true. Cooler. Gerard and crew won the perrier for the most unnecessary greeting of the week.
3: Dear God, I mean, his life is one perpetual moan, isn't it? Oh, absolutely right. Hello. That, that, this, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> He's not Why a fan of happen? dead air.
9: I don't know. Listen back, there's not even much of a gap at all. No. Um, uh, now, our good friend LaDonna Harvey from America, from KOGO. Yeah. Uh, she wins a period for opening her call with the query of the week.
3: Uh, LaDonna Harvey, who is, of course, uh, the breakfast co-host of KOGO in San Diego, California. Uh, LaDonna, a very good morning to you.
1: And a very good morning to you. Have you Brexited yet?
3: Uh, not We're yet. <laughs> it doesn't sound nice the way
9: she says it. No, no. check back next week. Okay. Uh, um, let's have a look at a couple of the other shows on this fine, fine station. First, Matthew Wright. He won the Perrier this week for Noise of the Week.
2: Um, but when it's weaver, that kind of bunches me got this,
0: like, not-nice pressure on your neck. Um, <laughs> A little bit, A little bit like that. <laughs>
9: That's a terrible sound, that. (laughs) No idea what that was. (sighs) Uh, um, And I believe now for the second week in a row, Julia Hartley Brewer has won wrong number of the week
0: this is indeed Talk Radio Breakfast with me Julia Hartley-Bree Hartley Brewer even uh, there's going to be a Castle Commons sitting tomorrow from 9.30pm who knows how long it's going to go on for Richard, um, Richard Graham um, Mike Graham will be here I'm, I'm losing touch here uh, it's been a very excitable 24 hours
3: it has very excitable 24 hours too much information <laughs> also can you forget your own name I know
9: Julia Hartley-Bree I think she's hungry she doesn't get <laughs> now there's no adverts on that show no. she can't eat breakfast can't have breakfast
3: that's right yeah uh,
9: um, also, from the Breakfast Show, Julia welcomed uh, Tom Slater from Spike Online, um, or Spiked Online, sorry. Uh, although he was a bit shy, uh, but Julia came up with a way of making him more eager to come on the show. She wins the Uer Award.
0: Let's talk about that and plenty more with Tom Slater, Deputy Editor at Spiked Online. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning to you, Tom. Are you there? Oh, goodness me, We're trying to get uh, his line up. We'll do our very best uh, to get him up in the next couple of moments.
3: Alex Farrell's not very good at that is he? <laughs> no he's not. Say no more. That's my favourite one. Smusy for the show. <laughs>
9: Well, I don't know what you're on about. Uh, and finally, back to this show. Mm. Uh, Nigel Evans, MP, uh, joined you to, Mike, to discuss... Um, oh, yes, it Brexit. Uh, anyway, during his interview, he won Backing Singer of the Week. As it turns out, he helps out with the vocals on a couple of songs.
4: Mm. And Andy does vote for a second referendum as opposed to uh, voting for the deal. They'll know what, 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 what's going on. What, 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 what? Oh, what's going on?
9: What's going on? <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, what's, going on? What's, going on?
3: Yeah. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Great song,
9: that. Yeah, enjoy that. Very good. Uh, what, you you just love Macklemore and Ryan Lewis for a yeah, shot? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah that's the one. Uh, that's it for the Perrier Awards. There will be more at the very same time next week. Thank you very much indeed.
8: <laughs> the Perrier Awards. On Talk Radio.
2: More gun talk from a water pistol. From the Farmer of Fury.
0: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On
2: Talk Radio.
0: So maybe tomorrow I find my way home. I look around at a beautiful life.
1: I've been the upper side of down, been in the inside of out.
3: This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham returning to the airways for the first time ever on Saturday, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. We will be in Parliament Square, we will be in Westminster, we will be on College Green. Uh, we will be talking to all of the players, all of the politicians are very eager, uh, as they are going to be working on Saturday, to come and see us uh, in the tent of common sense. We'll be there from 10 to 1. Julie Hartley Brewer will be there from 1 to 4. It's going to be an amazing day. Uh, the Brexit deal, I think, is going to be voted through. Uh, let's talk to Darren, who's in Walsall. Hello, Darren. Hello, Mike. How you great, doing? Great, great
8: show again. Thank and you. Before I start, just to say, yesterday's show was probably the best videos of radio I've ever heard. Really? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, mate, I was driving up the M40 when when you announced he got a deal. I was flashing the lights and clipping you horn. <laughs> well, that's,
3: I mean, you just it made like, you feel a, like good, a didn't you? Yeah, no, I, but mean, I mean, it was I, a great feeling. It was like a, it it's was, a massive relief, you know. And I
8: originally rang up to give Jeremy Corbyn some advice, but I don't think I will. What I will say is, and I'll be quick. I, all this, oh, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do that. I sat down last night to eat my tea, and I have wanted Brexit for as long as I can remember. I want us dragged further away from France. That's how much I want Brexit. Right. And the wife said to me, well, do you agree with the deal? And I had to say, I haven't got a clue what's in that deal, and I wouldn't pretend to have a clue. But if you've got the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg, Dominic Rabb, Nigel Evans, who are far more intelligent blokes than me, saying that it's right, it is Brexit... I'll take that. But then if you've got on the other hand, I don't know, like Caroline Lucas. I mean, I, I listened to one of your shows a few weeks back on catch up and you had some green MEP and she said, oh, no, the courts have decided Brexit is illegal. Oh, yeah, I know. And, and, uh, and do you remember that? And, I'm, you know, this is what you're up against. They're absolute half. It's Corbyn saying, I don't agree with it. Half hour before it even. Well, why don't people, when they interview anybody, say, have you ready?" Yes. Saying, well, no, well, I, I mean, the, he I sort, a, sort, well, sort of he gave, him, he,
3: he gave himself a little get-out clause by saying we haven't seen all the details. What he meant was yeah, he hadn't seen any of it. Rubbish. I mean, he had rubbish. not seen any of it. But that's what I was saying to people. I said that to Tom Brake yesterday because we were able oh. to break the news to him that they <laughs> had a deal. Bitch. I mean, you could <laughs> see. You, I mean, I couldn't see his face, but I knew that he had a terribly horrible expression on it. Right? And he's already. And he's, he's already and he's it. already telling me he's going to vote against it without even seeing it. But then he said he would vote for it if they attached a referendum. So I said to him, so you're not actually against the deal. You're just against exactly. you're just against the fact that we can't have I, a second referendum.
8: I think now they don't know what they're against. They're just against Brexit. Exactly. And they're, just, and they're tying themselves up in knots and they're just making themselves look more and more... Re- I mean, Ian Dale, another one I like, Ian. He talks sense. He had some woman on from the, the Lib Dems on his show, watched it on uh, Twitter... And he just absolutely told... Him. She said, oh, people in Europe have said there'll be queues. And he's going, why? Why would there be queues at the docks? Oh, because somebody in Europe told me. Yeah. And, and this is what this is what you're up against. I'll listen to people that have actually read it, like Dominic Robbeck, solicitor, I'll take what he says. Julia, in the morning, yeah. you, you're a lot more clued up than I am, so I'll go on that. And what about David Davis,
3: who we had on today, right, who's who's revealed for the first time, as far as I know, to me anyway, um, that he used to be a long-distance lorry driver. Mate, so he knows funny really about ports.
8: <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I do for a living, so I'll take my ass off to him. I didn't
5: know that.
3: Yeah. So Top man. To apply, great, cool. All right, Darren. Well, listen, enjoy the rest of the day. Uh, tune in tomorrow from 10 o'clock, and we'll be back at it uh, down in uh, Westminster on College Green. Ivan is in Belfast, wants to talk about Brexit. Hello, Ivan. How you doing, Mike? Very well, sir. Great to, great to get talking to you. No, very good to hear from you. What, what what side of the line are you on? What are you happy about? What are you unhappy about? Uh,
1: no, I, I'm definitely for Brexit. Right. Uh, the thing that, that sort of called me this morning was that MP calling for Shanghai. <laughs> oh I know. Incredible, but right? Having said that, Mike, you know I've changed my mind about what I want to talk about. Mm. That open marriage thing really stirred me. Did
3: it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well don't I tell me don't tell me you've marriage. don't tell me you've got one as well.
1: Oh, have I even uh, have I even said one more time I will certainly have an open <laughs> marriage <laughs> just until the divorce the clean I comes through. I no, mean, Mike, when, when, I'm definitely a going okay. through and, through,
3: and what about What, 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 about, we what, what, what about, about what's happened, though?
1: Well, I don't know what's happened, but all the nonsense that has gone on with these remainers and their nonsense arguments and the uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who really agree with them. Mm. But they're, they're agreeing with what?
3: A uh, uh, A nonsensical argument? Right. I know. What what do you make of the uh, situation in Northern Ireland and way that I th- I think Boris has done quite a clever thing um to keep Northern Ireland uh, in the UK but also to keep it in the EU. I think that's kind of a stroke of genius. Well, just just on
1: one point there Mike Boris doesn't keep Northern Ireland in the the UK. That's down to the people in Northern Ireland. Sure. But and I don't mean to check you on that I don't but I don't think he's clever for doing that. I think we're yet to see. I hope I might when I say this, we're yet to see how clever he's been.
5: Yes,
3: I think, that, days, I think that's true. But he's certainly proven himself to be a very um, accommodating and a very efficient Prime Minister compared to the last one. Oh, dear God, Mike. You know?
1: <laughs> You're not becoming the master of the understatement. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's great. Well, listen, because you don't sound... Well, well, the one thing I'm glad to hear is that you don't seem to be annoyed about what's happened, so it's not true um, to say, like the DUP are saying, that, uh, you know, somehow that the, the Northern Ireland's been thrown under a bus.
1: Um, No, I am a bit annoyed, Mike. Are I you? am a bit annoyed, but not necessarily because any stuff could happen over this.
5: Mm.
1: Or any stuff has happened and can continue to happen over the next next like several months, really, sure. the, the, the thing that has annoyed me is it's dead simple. Do you wish to remain or do you wish to leave? Now, even if we do leave on, on, on these current circumstances, which yeah. nobody really knows what they are yet, it's it's a major victory for those who have done nothing but frustrate and agitate and divide and they've shown themselves to be w- for, for what they really are. They, the, these these people are barristers, supposedly highly intelligent individuals. Yeah.
3: They've just lost another case, by the way. These clever the, barristers.
1: The morons! <laughs> for goodness' sake, they're not thinking about the country. Yeah. These people. You know, I, I've got to mention one name, Ian Blackburn. Yeah. Please, in the name of God, Mister Blackburn, would you shut your <laughs> I think that's a Britain good point at is which to end.
3: Listening to that man. All right, uh, Ivan. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Peter, uh, who's in Wimbledon. Hello, Peter.
2: Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking the call. Not uh, at all, Mike. I- I'm, I'm absolutely um, finding it absolutely hilarious. You know, call after call, admitting they know nothing about the deal or whatever. They still support it, and and while you bring can't actually agree amongst yourself. Uh, You've
3: tried this on me before, Peter. I'm not a Brexiteer. He got it wrong the last time. I'll just correct you again.
2: Well, that's fine. I mean, amongst your your fan club or whatever you're calling in, you can't agree among yourselves which is a good deal or which is no good deal and you're expecting us to believe that 17.4 million people supporting both sides. Nigel Farage was not so long ago saying, complaining that somehow Ban Act was insult to our democracy and only yesterday he said that. Juncker, by expressing an opinion that no deal is most likely, will be ignoring our bank act.
3: Well, he doesn't like the deal, does he, Peter?
2: (laughs) Who doesn't like the deal? Nigel Farage, Farage, yeah. Of course he doesn't. The thing is, because for for him, it's a project. It's probably the death of of Brexit party. That's all he's concerned about. Do you like the deal? Do Do you like the deal? No, I don't. Because I'll tell you why. Because multiple reasons. The one of the reasons is compared to the Theresa May's deal is they removed the workers' rights protection from the legally binding side of the document and moved it down to the non-legally binding. And that is critical for the people, for the working class people in this country. Is it? And and the only reason I can think they've done this is because they want to do something which is basically will not European Union won't be able to stop them from doing. Well, we might be is, in the
3: European Union. That's why. Well,
2: yeah, but this is if you sign up to legally binding document, which is we're going to maintain the same level yeah, of. Yeah, but why would we do price, that
3: if we're leaving? That's the whole point of leaving, Peter. You don't sign no, up to, to stay in if you're leaving. That's the whole point of the document.
2: Absolutely, but this document only covers the um, transition period, you have to understand. And the thing is, the document has got two parts one is legally binding, one is non legally yeah. binding. And this is political. And, and for some Well, that's reason, what's good about it. But well, that's what's, what's good about it. it. Well, this is Mike. Mike, this is one of the reasons why Labour Party said they're not going to vote for this. No, it's not. This the Labour point. Party, you know, the
3: Labour Party's not going to vote for it because they don't want to vote with the government. They want to stop the government from making any progress. They want to stop the government uh, from leaving the European Union because they've now declared themselves to be a party of Remain. That's
2: well, all. They can be a party of Remain, but the thing is that that the bottom line is the present deal on the table put in front of a Labour Party does not protect the workers' rights, and Labour Party is a party of the working classes. Yeah, but they're well, not the party of like the working you, classes, like Peter. It, no, they're not. Go, and, go to Sunderland
3: No, go to Sunderland and tell people up there that the Labour Party, which has betrayed them, is the party of the working class, because it ain't.
2: Well, people of Sunderland were duped to, to vote
3: for Brexit. Oh, right, OK. Is gonna bring, oh, they were the duped, Sunderland, OK.
2: Sunderland up, you haven't got much who respect, for, you got well, much respect
3: have you, Peter, for the working class? You think well, they're too stupid to know what they're doing. Is that what you're saying?
2: More, more, That's in, in, what it in, sounds in, like. 6,000 6, Nissan workers were told, should we leave in the Southern manner, European Union, Nissan uh, manufacturing will be shut down. And it's not only 6,000 people employed in Sunderland, but another 24,000 people who are in the supply chain. Yeah. So this is are you a member of the
3: Labour Party, Peter? Because you sound um, like no, you're doing um, a party political um, broadcast on behalf of absolutely Jeremy Corbyn. Not. No, you're you not. Know oh, okay. Well, oh, I'm sick life, of, I'm I'm sick old of old listening story. to you now, and it's time for Matthew Wright. So, why don't you give him a call? Uh, Peter in Wimbledon uh, is a man who spouts an awful lot of nonsense. Uh, I wouldn't bother listening or paying any attention to him. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number to call. We'll be back tomorrow at ten o'clock for more fun and games in Westminster for the vote on when we leave the European Union for good. Across the
0: UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say.